Remain standing. Father in heaven, your child and forever, I am. We are. We bless and we praise thee, O Lord God of heaven, for thy loving kindness to us. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Father in heaven, we thank thee that according to Romans chapter 8 and the first of Ephesians, that you predestinated us to the adoption of children before the world began. We thank thee that in the fullness of time, you sent forth the Lord Jesus Christ to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. We thank thee that sometime in our lives, you sent forth the Spirit of God that we might be born again, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of thee. And we praise thee, Heavenly Father, that you have brought your gospel to our ears, telling us how we ought to live to be your dear children in this world. And we wait for that day in which the glorious liberty of the sons of God shall be made manifest to the universe and the bondage of corruption taken from this earth. And we shall be declared to be the joint heirs of the Lord Jesus Christ and your children to the whole universe. We thank thee and we praise thee. Hear our praise. We sing as the redeemed of the Lord by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Bless us now by your spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Earlier this morning, we considered the fact that the God we worship, the God of the Bible, is so approachable and knowable. He's impartial and he's divisible in that he can have a full and complete satisfying relationship with everyone that seeks Him. I mentioned to you about the Gadarene. And in talking about the Gadarene at at our break we had a few minutes ago, I was reminded that the Gadarene could not seek the face of the Lord. Because he was under the control and the possession of the devils that were in him. But did that matter to the Lord? Did the Lord seek him who could not seek in return? And so we have the wonderful story of the Gadarene recorded for us a couple of times at least in the Gospels. The account in Mark being precious indeed. We think of the Syrophoenician woman or a woman of Canaan as she is called in Matthew chapter 15. Do you remember when she came to the Lord in her great time of need for her daughter? And she was calling upon the Lord to help her and the disciples pulled her aside and said... Can't you tell that he's busy? Leave the master alone. Now I want to tell you something from this before we go any further this morning, that when you're seeking a personal relationship with the Lord, he is not operating and responding in your time frame. Therefore, if he doesn't respond in five minutes to your five minutes of effort when you've given the last 15 years to pursue the things of the world, You shouldn't blame him. You should blame yourself for the 15 years before you blame him for the fifth minute. Because here's this woman of Canaan needing help and coming to the Lord Jesus Christ and the disciples say, can't you see that the master is busy? Leave him alone. Then she continued. So the Lord Jesus said to her, I am not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
Now, she was a Gentile. That hurt. There's the Lord Jesus Christ, the one she needs the most, saying that He was only sent to the Jews, and she was a Gentile. But she continued on. And then He said, It's not meat. This is, it's not appropriate for us to give the children's bread to dogs. The Lord Jesus Christ called this woman a dog, a Gentile dog, and to give the bread that God had designed for the Jews first, the gospel, to give it to this Gentile was not appropriate. And she said, truth, Lord, but the dogs do eat of the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Could I have a crumb? Jesus said, great is thy faith, woman. Your matter has been answered. And I want to encourage you that if you go to the Lord and you're seeking this closer relationship with Him and you don't get the immediate response or feel, and I would not put very much confidence in responses or feels, I would believe by faith that He is there and walking with you. But if it doesn't happen the way you think that it should, then you just keep on pressing. And if it doesn't happen the way you think it should, then just keep on pressing. The relationship is worth the effort. And the Lord sometimes wants to see how sincere you are by giving you a few obstacles or speed bumps in your pursuing Him. I would remind you that when Jacob wrestled with the Lord, there in Genesis chapter 32, and he wrestled with Him for a while, and when the angel saw that he was not going to prevail, oh, we will come back to that one with a different attribute, when the Lord realized he wasn't going to prevail and, and defeat Jacob, he put Jacob's thigh out of joint. Now your lower, your lower muscles are the largest muscle group of your body by far. And when your thigh is out of joint, that leverage and strength that you get from your lower body is taken away. So here's Jacob in desperate hour of need because his brother is coming to meet him with 400 men and all he has is his boys. He's begging God for help. And things go from bad to worse. I've taught you this many times. But now I'm talking about the most important prayer request you can ever have. A more personal and closer relationship with the Lord. Things might go from bad to worse in your feelings. You just keep wrestling. Because the Lord's about to give you a blessing. Right. Jacob got up from that wrestling match and he had a new name. His name was Israel because as a prince he had prevailed with God and won the wrestling match. And he went to meet Esau and Esau ran up to him and grabbed him and fell on his neck and kissed him and wept on him. Is that a big change? From the man who had said he would kill him the next time he laid eyes on Jacob? Praise the Lord. He is there. Don't be discouraged. These examples are in the Bible to encourage us. What a woman of faith. It's not meat to give the children's bread to dogs. Truth, Lord. But the dogs do eat of the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Isn't that a great thing to say? That's the woman that may not have felt that she could have seen the Lord face to face, but if I but touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. Thank you, Lord, for such wonderful things in the Word of God. It's our fault for not knowing them and keeping them in our minds at all times, lest we be discouraged. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing with the Word of God, hearing those kind of events from the Bible should increase our faith. Let's deal with another attribute that our blessed God has chosen for Himself. Turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 33. We'll take but a few minutes.
on this attribute before we come to the Lord's table. I had great difficulty in naming this attribute, but it must belong in this category of relational attributes. And so I've entitled it Mediated. God himself is the one that we're dealing with, and it's his attribute. He is not the mediator. He has provided a mediator. And he is mediable. But that's not a word. So it's mediated, because not only is he mediable, which means susceptible to mediation, though it's not a word, he is mediated already. And that is fantastic. Yeah, amen. Without that mediator, our way to him is cut off, shut off. He is too far away and he is too high. You say, but what about those before the time of Christ? It was all by faith and covenant. God had already made his covenant with Jesus Christ that he was going to come in the fullness of time. And it was by the faithfulness of God that he was able to see the sacrifice that would be paid and accepted those men of the old covenant on the grounds of what would be done under the new covenant. Romans chapter 3 teaches us that. Mediated is an attribute of God. The God of heaven, the Lord Jehovah, has a mediator, and that mediator has done his work and is doing his work, and God is fully mediated. He has been brought to peace with his children so that we can go to him through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the simplest of gospel components. This is the simple of go- simplest of gospel facts, and you already know it. But as we come to the Lord's table today, I wanted an attribute that would serve the table, and the Lord provided it. And when we look at our relationship with God, we must have that attribute in place. That He is mediated. God has been satisfied by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ as an intercessor for you and for me. It is more than that He is open to mediation. For He has actually ordained and appointed and accepted the work of a mediator 2,000 years ago, Jesus of Nazareth. The man, Christ Jesus, as 1 Timothy 2.5 would say of him. It's not that he's just susceptible to mediation, but that he's already and fully mediated or reconciled us to him. In Exodus chapter 33 and verse 20, it's important for us to remember how dangerously high and infinitely above man God is by his nature and his character. God is very distant by his nature. We are made so much lower than Him. We're made lower than the angels, let alone God. In Exodus 33 and verse 20, it says of the Lord, Thou canst not see my face. This is God speaking to Moses, the man that was the closest to Him on earth. Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. To see God was death. And so when men would see an angel in the Old Testament, they would think that they had seen God because the angel was so much more glorious than any man they had ever seen. They presumed that it must be God and they thought they were going to die. I'm thinking of Samson's father at the moment when he saw the angel of the Lord. But notice this statement. This is how far God is above men. And this is how God would speak even to Moses. Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. Now here, the word faith 
The word face is used differently than over in verse 11 of the same chapter. In chapter, in verse 11 of this chapter, the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man. Now that was just personal. That there was personal exchange between Moses and God. But face over here in verse 20 is a fuller demonstration and manifestation of God's glory that was beyond Moses. And we've got to rightly divide the word of truth or we end up thinking that Exodus 33 is catching itself, coming and going, and it is not. It's a metaphorical description in verse 11 that as a man speaketh unto his friend. When you have the word as or like, it's a metaphor and it's telling you that it's a simile. It's a simile, not a metaphor. When it's got the word as, they're indicating so. But I want verse 20 because I want us to think about how high God is above us. And I could turn you to many places. The Bible says that God dwells in a light that no man can approach unto. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 17 that when the Apostle John saw the glorified Lord Jesus Christ, he fell at his feet as dead. So we want to remember that. If you read Exodus chapter 19 last night about Israel gathering around Mount Sinai, it was altogether a scary event for them. They were petrified. And if you go to Hebrews chapter 12, you get the insight on Moses. He was terrified of what he was seeing and hearing. The sound of that trumpet waxing louder and louder and the blast furnace that was shaking Mount Sinai altogether and the rules that were so severe that if anyone broke through, they were to be killed to try to see God. And so when you think about that aspect, you wonder, we need someone between us. And did Israel understand that? They said, we don't want to hear God anymore. You go hear what God has to say, then you come and tell us. But you know, even when Moses came back, they couldn't look at him, could they? Because the glory of God had so infected him and affected him that he had to wear a veil over his face because he was glowing with the glory of God. And 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is a chapter describing that particular aspect of the Old Covenant. You know, when we look through the Bible, God only spoke personally to exceptional men. And I say, you sound a little different than you did this morning. Well, that's just because I want you to think about what you have in Christ Jesus. God only spoke to exceptional men like Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, Isaiah, Daniel, John the Baptist, and so forth. There's a great distance between God and us. But God has reconciled that by mediating it. Look at Job chapter 9. Job chapter 9. Job was hoping for someone that could be an arbiter, a mediator, that could go between him and God. Job chapter 9. Some of you know exactly where I'm going and what verse that I'll be using. Job 9. Verse 32, for he is not a man. Job 9.32, for he is not a man. Job is speaking of God as I am, that I should answer him, and we should come together in judgment. You know, God and man should not have a discussion or a debate, because one's God and the other is man. Verse 33, neither is there any daysman, now this is a Bible term, betwixt us that might lay his hand Upon us both. That's a mediator. That's an arbiter. That's someone that reconciles parties. Let him take his rod away from me, and let not his fear terrify me. Then would I speak and not fear him. But it is not so with me. 
Look at Job's predicament. He knows he can't come and argue with the Lord about the matters in his life because God is God and Job is man. And he's terrified of the Lord. He knows that if God would take away the fear, he might have the courage to say some things to the Lord. But he's not going to do that. He says, it's not so with me as he ends chapter 9. The key is verse 33. Neither is there any daysman betwixt us. Job realized, and at this, in this passage, in this way, Job wanted someone that could be a go-between between the Lord and him. And he felt hopeless without it. Now Job knew he had a go-between. I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand in the latter day upon the earth. But at this moment, in this dilemma of chapter 9, he wasn't thinking of his Redeemer. He wasn't thinking of his daysman, and he wished he had one. And so, we want one. Because that's how God can open himself up to men when there's a man or a counselor or a lawyer that can come between us and represent us to the Lord and represent the Lord to us. Now Moses would have to say in Deuteronomy chapter 18 by prophecy, the Lord is going to raise up a man like unto me. And he is going to speak to you everything that God wants him to speak. And every person among the people that does not obey him will be destroyed from among the people. And do you know who that prophet was that was raised up like unto Moses? The Lord Jesus Christ. And did he destroy the Jews that did not believe on him? If you fall on me, you'll be broken. But if I fall on you, you'll be ground to powder. The Lord Jesus Christ. That's the fulfillment of the, of the prophet that was to come like unto Moses. That was also the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Job and that 32nd verse, the 33rd verse, that there is no daysman betwixt us, but we have a daysman. We have an umpire. We have a lawyer. We have a counselor. We have a mediator. We have an arbiter. We have one who has reconciled us to God. Thank you, Lord. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2 and that text I've already quoted that's been prayed this day already that you know so well, and it's where we stand in our relationship with God. We do not look to Pope Benedict XVI to help us, nor Mary, the so-called Mother of God, by that false abominable church. We look only to the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 2, 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. We love that text. We know there's one God. We know there's one mediator. And it's only the man Christ Jesus. It is not Mary. It is not popes. It is not priests. It is not the council of the Mormon church. It is not Mohammed. It's no no one or no thing but the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the one mediator. And God is mediated because God picked the mediator, God sent the mediator, God gave the spirit without measure to the mediator, God gave the work to the mediator, and the mediator willingly obeyed His Father in heaven and laid down His life for us, and God was satisfied and accepted the work of the mediator so that we are fully able to go into the presence of God. God is mediated. Amen. God has been reconciled. God is open to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Look at Hebrews chapter 8. God in love and wisdom sent Jesus of Nazareth as the mediator for us. 
Hebrews 8, 6, But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. This is speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ as our priest. To keep turning to the right, to go to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. God has an attribute in that He is mediated. He knew He must be mediated. He ordained the mediator. And He accepted the work of the mediator. And His plan and wisdom and power brought together an altogether glorious mediator for us. Look at 1 John 2 beginning at verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. Purpose of the epistle is to stop them from sinning. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He didn't sin. And He's the one advocating for us with the Father. And He is the propitiation. That is the sacrifice that makes peace for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And when it says for the sins of the whole world, if it means every human being without exception, then no one is going to be in hell because peace has been made with God for all of their sins. But that isn't true at all. When you read the Scriptures, this is the Apostle John writing to his audience, which were the Jews, and the whole world is an expression to describe Gentile believers and Gentile elect as well as Jews. If you want proof for that, then go read Romans chapter 11, where the Holy Spirit makes it very obvious and plain that the word world is a world for Jews to recognize Gentiles. And it says that in the 12th verse very clearly for anyone in doubt. But you should already understand that because God is not the propitiation for all the sins of all men because if God had, if, if Jesus had propitiated or paid the price for all the sins of all men, there would be no sin for God to cast any into hell. Somebody would say, well, there's the sin of unbelief. Well, that Jesus would have propitiated for that as well as any. Because he says those that are in hell are there because they're unbelievers. They're fearful and unbelieving. I don't want to waste any more time on that. You, you should all know that already. Let's look at that verse in the word advocate. In the second sentence of the first verse of 1 John 2, If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. One who advocates or presents our case to the Father, and He is Jesus the righteous. You know, we're the sinner. It's Jonathan the sinner that prays to God, but Jesus the righteous is there to remind the Father of the sacrifice that He paid for all my sins. And so when you go as a sinner, you've got Jesus the righteous being your advocate, being your lawyer, being your mediator, being your daysman that Job so desired in Job chapter 9. Jesus has many wonderful names, but one of those wonderful names in Isaiah 9-6 is Counselor. How does a judge address a lawyer? Counselor. Because Jesus Christ is our counselor. He counsels us with the wisdom and advice of how we should approach God and He advises God on us because He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. God cannot be tempted with evil and neither tempteth He any man. But the Lord Jesus Christ went through that for us and He is our counselor at the right hand of God. You know, I've preached on this many times before about Jesus being our ransom. 
By the statement in Job chapter 33, I've preached about it. You need a lawyer. I've preached about the priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ numerous times. And that's really what we're dealing with here is the only priest we need is the Lord Jesus. And so much as he a priest, he's made each of us priests. A priest is someone who can go right to God. And Jesus Christ has gone to him and made us royal priests. We're kings and priests, according to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6. Jesus Christ has secured an everlasting opening to Jehovah God for his people to go to him freely and boldly. Look at Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9. I wanted to have you read this last evening, but we you've read it a time or two in the last 6 or 12 months, and I, I wanted you to read the other chapters. What a counselor we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. What a mediator if you read John 17. Now, if you read John 17, he's praying for some pretty stupendous blessings upon those that believe in him, isn't he? They're wonderful blessings. And that is his intercessory prayer before he went to the cross for us. For those that would believe on the apostles' record given about the Lord Jesus, which includes us. In Hebrews 9, it's describing the ordinances of the Old Testament worship services. It says that in verse 1. Then verily, back then, under the Old Testament, verily, this is true, the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. They had a church building, and they went and had church services under the Old Testament. And it goes to describe it, in how that church building had an outer courtyard, it doesn't mention that here, but for there was a tabernacle made the first. This is the first compartment, two-thirds of the whole of the tabernacle and of the temple that was built upon its form. The first, that is the first two-thirds, wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. That's where the priest would go every day. After the second veil, there was another veil that separated apartment that we call the Holy of Holies all often, which here is called the holiest of all. And back there behind that curtain, behind that veil, was the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold. Wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded in the tables of the covenant, the two tables of stone of the Ten Commandments. And over it the cherubims of glory, shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now here's the key, verse 6. Now when these things were thus ordained, when church services were held that way, and they were held that way for, oh, 1,500 years, about 1,500 years, when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle. They had access to the first two-thirds where they put the showbread out and they lit the candles, accomplishing the service of God. Verse 7, but into the second, that is the second compartment, the last third, went the high priest alone. Only one man got in there, Once every year, only one time a year, did one man get in there, and he was the high priest. No other priest could go in, and he couldn't go in without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. And all of that was just a shadow of the lesson that it was teaching, that the way to God was not open. This is very, very simple. You you would not believe the number of televangelists, the number of preachers and churches that nowadays have men come into their churches and build models of the tabernacle, and try to shed gospel light on Jesus Christ and on salvation from the Old Testament. There isn't light back there. That is obscure darkness. 
Those are shadows. If I want to show you my wife, if I can't show her to you in person, I'm going to show you a picture of her that is her express image. I'm never going to show you her shadow. A shadow. Who would go to the Old Testament for the gospel? That's because they want to hear some new itching thing and they they don't want to settle for sound doctrine. If they would just read the book of Hebrews, they'd have the most glorious demonstration of the preeminence of Jesus Christ given in the whole Bible. The book of Hebrews just crushes that Old Testament stuff. The Apostle Paul says it's beggarly. The Apostle Paul says it's sensual. The Apostle Paul says it's worldly. The Apostle Paul says it's rudimentary. The Apostle Paul says it's elementary. The Apostle Paul says it's carl. He said it's ready to be thrown away. He says it's like dirt on a rug. It needs to be shaken outside and let it blow away. Because the things that are left are what count. The things that are left show us what heaven is really like. Verse 8 tells us the Holy Ghost, this signifying, the picture of that Old Testament tabernacle was that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as yet the first tabernacle was yet standing. That church that stood for 1,500 years as Moses' tent, as Solomon's temple, as Zerubbabel's temple, did not show the way to God. It showed that the way to God was closed off by that veil. And oh, brethren, what a veil. Can you imagine right now, because I didn't bring you pictures, because I'm bringing you the Word of God. Can you imagine right now a six-story building standing in front of you? Can you imagine this six That's 60 feet tall. Some of you are thinking of a tree that you've got to bring down from the top. 60 feet tall. 30 feet wide. 4 inches thick. 4 tons. 8,000 pounds. Sewn by 82 seamstresses. Manipulated by 300 priests. Tested by workhorses on both sides that could not pull it apart. Hanging in the temple, the way to God was shut off. You couldn't move that thing. You couldn't tear that thing. You couldn't get through that veil. And there it was. Because we just read about that veil. That it separated that holiest of all from the sanctuary where the priests could go. But the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross. And look what it says, what happened. It's Matthew chapter 27. When He died on the cross and cried with a loud voice. And do you know what He cried with a loud voice? It is finished! It's finished! Four inches thick. Four tons. Sixty feet tall. Ripped from top to bottom. That is our gospel. Amen. And we don't, we certainly wouldn't go to the Old Testament to teach it. Because in the Old Testament, we've got that veil hanging there year after year, decade after decade, century after century, for 1500 years. But the Lord Jesus Christ in the fullness of time came. The desire of all nations came. You know, Zerubbabel, when he built his pitiful little temple in Haggai chapter 2, the replacement for Solomon's glorious temple, as he looked at that pitiful little thing, the Lord said, Oh, Zerubbabel! Don't you be intimidated and don't you be discouraged by the size of this pitiful little thing. All the silver and all the gold is mine. In this temple, the desire of all nations shall come. And you know what? The rest of the world can get on television 
and read the newspaper like Jack Van Empey and take Haggai chapter 2 and put it out in the future, there's only two temples. There's the former temple of Solomon. There's the latter temple of Zerubbabel that Herod added to during his life. There's only two temples. And which temple did the desire of all nations come to? And when did he do it? It's Zerubbabel's temple, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ, and he came 2,000 years ago. His mother brought him in and held him up before the Lord to dedicate him to the Lord. He was circumcised. Simeon held him up and said, Lord, now let thy servant depart in peace. Mine eyes have seen thy salvation. As a little baby, he was brought into that temple, and Simeon, who had been waiting there, had been told, you're not going to die until you see the Lord's Christ. Oh, this is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a little baby... As a 12-year-old, he sat in that temple and confounded its doctors, answering their questions and asking a few of his own. At 30, he began preaching in that temple, and he cast out money changers of that temple. He made himself a scourge of cords and drove out the money changers out of that temple. And then there was a day in Matthew chapter 23 when he walked out of that temple and he said, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Just months earlier, he had said, You have made my father's house a den of thieves. Right, right my father's house of prayer. But now God was washing his hands of that old covenant. And he said, your house is left unto you desolate. Then he died on the cross and said, it is finished. And that veil was rent from top to bottom. Look at Matthew. Look at Matthew chapter 27 and verse 50. Jesus when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened. The power, the residual power, the collateral damage, the collateral power of the Lord Jesus Christ dying, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion and they that were with him, watching Jesus, saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. Do you believe on the Son of God? Lord, who is he that I might believe? It is Jesus of Nazareth. Believe on him. He's our Savior, and we're going to celebrate His death. What a glorious deliverance He's given us. Romans chapter 5 and verse 11 says, By now whom we have received the atonement, made at one with God again. You want to talk about being close to God? Jesus died as our atonement. At one meant. Made us at one with God again. So that Paul could say, God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation. All Paul did was go around and tell God's elect that they had been reconciled to God by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they could boldly trust in him and believe him that they would forever live with him through this world and the next. Oh Lord, we thank you for all these things that you have taught us. Look at Romans chapter 5. Very quickly, Romans chapter 5. It's not the number of verses we cover. It's the verses that strike your soul. And it's the faith that's built by the Word of God that counts. Romans chapter 5, verse 2. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. 
When it says in the first part of verse 2, by whom also, find the whom that's in verse 1 that ends that verse. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. By Jesus Christ, we have something in addition to justification by faith. We have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. What is the grace in which we stand? We are the sons of God. Eternal heaven is our inheritance and we're going to spend eternity with God. That is the hope of glory, even as Gentiles. And it's all made possible by the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We're talking about an attribute of God because He's mediated. He's been satisfied by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ so that we may boldly come to Him. Ephesians 2.16 And that He might reconcile both. That is, the old the Jews and the Gentiles. That He might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross having slain the enmity thereby. Verse 18, For through Him we both, that is Jews and Gentiles, have access by one Spirit unto the Father. We have, As Gentiles, here we are. God's been mediated. God's been satisfied and reconciled. We can go to God. We have a lawyer, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. So many more things could be said. Look at Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Oh, a priest. A priest like the Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews is about the priesthood of Jesus. Taken from Psalm 110, where God told the Jews that there was another order of priests coming, made after the order of Melchizedek, who was a priest long before Levi. Even Abraham paid tithe. It's just a wonderful story. In Hebrews 11, it's, there isn't time to preach Hebrews 11, but you know, when Abraham and Melchizedek sat down and had a supper together of bread and wine, Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. Now Abraham was the father of Levi. Levi was the father of all the priests. What was the father of all the Jewish priests paying tithes to another priest? Therefore, the other priest must be greater than any Jewish priest. The book of Hebrews is, my opinion, the best book in the Bible. The preeminence of Jesus Christ preached in every variety of ways that can be done from the first chapter to the end. Verse 14 of Hebrews 4, Seeing then that we have a great high priest. Do you believe that? That we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Let's not go back. These Hebrews were tempted to give up on their Christian profession and go back and worship with the other Jews in temple worship. But here's Paul encouraging them, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Those pompous priests of the Jews might even pretend that at times, but not the Lord Jesus Christ, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore, because of that, come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We ought to draw a conclusion from what we can read right there in those two verses that we can go boldly to the throne of God and obtain grace to help in our time of need. 
The Lord Jesus Christ mediated Almighty God in heaven so that we have a way to go to Him. We can come boldly into His presence now. All your sins have been blotted out. The law has been satisfied in every which way that it could be satisfied. All your sins were laid on Jesus Christ and He suffered their penalty for them. He died on the tree. He suffered the death that was a cursed death under Jewish law so that you might live through Jesus Christ your Lord. Oh Lord, have mercy upon us. There's so many places that we could turn. Look at chapter 7, right around the corner there. That, that Chapter 7 is given entirely to the concept and subject of the priesthood of Jesus Christ. It says in verse 19, For the law made nothing perfect. That Old Testament religion for 1,500 years made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh to God. We can go to God by the better hope of the New Testament, by the Lord Jesus Christ being our mediator. God is mediated. He's reconciled. I'm just an ambassador, according to 2 Corinthians 5, declaring the word of reconciliation. All I bring is the news of it. Jesus did all the reconciling. He's the one that said it is finished. God was the one that accepted the sacrifice and was satisfied. I just tell you about it. Now it's up to you and me to run into the presence of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Right. Amen and amen. Amen.